Welcome to a special message with Michael Anthony at CourageMatters.com. Today, we have a special guest speaker, Pastor Bob Tome at Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania. Pastor Bob is the missions and counseling pastor here at Grace, where Michael Anthony serves as the lead pastor. So hold on to your seats as Pastor Bob teaches from God's Word. About a year ago, I had something happen that over this year had been watching and seeing God move. Men began to come to our counseling ministry and talk about the pornography and the sexual bondage in their lives. And over the year, I have watched these men and am very proud of these men as they have made decisions to do what God wants them to do. God convicting them, God moving in their life brought them to counseling. That conviction began in a service like this. I said to Pastor Mike that, you know, a phenomenon was happening where people were convicted, where people were moved by what was happening Sunday morning, that God was stirring and moving and working in their hearts. And in that process, they came for more help. But over this year, there was something that I realized, and that is when you talk about pornography and you talk about sexual bondage, it is something that the church will shy away from. It is something that sometimes we don't talk about because it's something that's done in secret and maybe many people think should stay in secret. But this morning, we're opening the can. We're opening up this topic from the Word of God and look at how God gives us a perspective about this sin that is plaguing the church of Jesus Christ. When we hear statistics like 50% of the men in the evangelical church today is bound by pornography, that is a catastrophic event in the church. When we hear statistically that women and their use of pornography is rising, whether it's through the romance novels found at the local grocery stores or movies like Fifty Shades of Grey, we find that women like men are becoming attracted to pornography. And that evil from the pit of hell is destroying men and women in the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at this today from the Word of God. I want us to see what God says about it. Not only get His perspective, but find the hope that is in God's Word to get out of it. And not only understanding that God gives hope, but He offers us the power in Himself to change, and with that change can come a new practice. So we're going to look at the Word of God today. We're going to search the Scriptures and look at a 21st century problem that is out of control in the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's out of control in your life this morning. Maybe you're here as a man or a woman and you know the secret place you have. You know the secret place, men, where the computer is or the books are or ladies when no one is around and you're sitting in the den with the romance novel or finding the latest flick on TV to turn to and to watch. Men and women today in the church of Jesus Christ are being destroyed and they're being brought down low to the point of not being strong for Christ. And when we're not strong for Christ and we're plagued by bondage and we're held in a position where pornography rises up in the church, 
we don't see the spiritual impact that can happen not only from our lives, but from our churches across our nation. A couple things that I want to begin with by way of introduction include this. Today, when we think about Satan binding Christian men and women in addictive behavior, we are losing the war, as I said. What begins to happen is that people begin to explore and get hooked. Sometimes getting hooked is innocent, but it leads to more and more. And we see the money that is made today in our nation because of pornography. We see the marriages that are broken up and destroyed because of pornography. We see families that are ripped apart and men and women who once had a vibrant family, have a divided family, have a broken family because of pornography. We see that financially it has hurt bank accounts and savings accounts and money has been spent over and over again to feel good about pornography. It hooks us. It's addictive. It is showing us that we can move in a direction and enjoy something and soon there's no remorse. There are many people today who are bound in bondage who have no sensitivity to God. Their hearts have become hardened, their minds and consciences are seared, and there is no desire to even want to change because the pleasure that they find they think is better than what they have in their home. And so when no remorse takes over, shame takes over. And now people who are trapped in this sin, they begin to allow shame. They allow Satan to take that shame and tell them they're no good. There's no way out. Look at you. You're nothing in the church. You're nothing in your home. You're nothing before God. Look at you. And many people back away and hide in their shame never to seek help and seek the change that God can give. Many people minimize their situations. Well, it's just something on the computer. It's just a romance novel. It only cost $1.99 at Giant or Wise. And we begin to minimize. We think that it's not as bad as someone who's in jail. How is my romance novel worse than someone who is a pedophile in jail? but we find that when these cycles start, it creates more and more havoc in our lives. And then we become far removed from God. We find ourselves moving away from God. I'm not really excited about reading the Bible anymore. You know, I don't need to go to church anymore. I, you know, I find my happiness in my office at the computer. I find my happiness in the fake women I see on the screen. And we begin to say, God, I'm just going to push you away. I don't need you any longer. All of this cycle produces an emotional high. All of this cycle allows the process to get worse and a numbness to take over. And then there's a broken man and a broken woman. 
And so today, I want us to look at the Word of God. I want us to see what God says about a topic we don't talk about that we're going to talk about this morning. I want us to see from Old Testament to New Testament what God says about pornography, what He says about the stronghold and the bondage of pornography, and how it's destroying homes today. You may have someone in your family, and you could say, Pastor, if I was bold enough to stand up, I could tell you that there's someone in my family whose life and home has been disrupted and destroyed because of this sin. And if there were even bolder people, they could stand up this morning in this auditorium and say, Pastor, my life has been destroyed by this sin and this bondage. You have no idea what I'm going through and the difficulties that I am facing. But I want you to know this morning, friends, the best place for help is right here. The best place for help is right here among God's people because I think if you've been around grace for a while, you know we're hard on sin. We are hard on making things right, but we overextend ourselves in love when restitution comes. And we are not here to see people stay defeated. We're not here to see people stay in bondage. We're not here to see strongholds win. We are here as a church body to help each other that we would not be caught in this epidemic that has taken hold of the evangelical church in America. Let's get a good biblical foundation by turning to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, we're going to look at a process. And this process, and there are several things we're going to look at this morning, we're going to begin with a process. And James talks about how you and I can get into trouble with pornography or any sin, but in particular, pornography this morning. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. There are a couple of things in this passage you need to know to get God's perspective and to get it in an accurate way. Number one, and the most important is God says emphatically, I do not cause you to sin. God is not sitting in heaven throwing pornographic temptation our way to see if we're going to remain a good Christian. God doesn't think about pornographic material because God can't sin. And here in verse 13, the emphasis, the emphatic statement that is made in this verse is putting God up front. God does not tempt anyone. God wants us to know that this source of temptation, this source of falling, this source of destructiveness does not come from him. Verse 13, he says, I he says, let no man say when I am tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. When we begin blaming other people for our sin, if my wife would be the woman that I want her to be, I wouldn't be on the computer looking at women. If my husband was the man that he needs to be, I wouldn't have to find satisfaction in a romance novel or 50 shades of gray. 
I wouldn't have to get my kicks somewhere out there if my husband or my wife was being who I would expect them to be. You know, statements like that are nothing new. Go to Genesis chapter three, if you will. Let's go back to our mom and dad. Let's go back to our mom and dad, Adam and Eve. And in this passage in Genesis chapter three, verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. I highlighted that verse Verse nine, because isn't it amazing that when we get in the trouble we get into, God is still calling man. God is still calling man. And God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. Sin secludes us. Sin hides us. That's why you don't have beaming lights like on this stage in a bar room at 2 a.m. That's why you don't have, you know, blinds pulled up when immorality is going on in the neighborhood. We hide from God and our sin. Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And from Genesis chapter three through the history of the world to the 21st century this morning, we have learned to blame other people. We have learned to blame other things. We have learned to blame, I'm not really happy in my job and I'm so stressed out, I need that pornography. I'm not happy in my family anymore. You don't know how much my relatives drive me crazy. I need to get away and find something that pleases me. And those are the kind of things you hear and I hear from people that we love who are trapped. So God says here in James chapter one again, back at verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And here we see the first step is being lured away. That word lured is the idea of being drawn. It's the idea that something is out there that looks really nice. Something is out there that pulls our attention away from decency to devastation. And it's the same thing that wisdom in the book of Proverbs talks about when you turn with me to chapter seven of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter seven, we're gonna look at verse six to the end of the chapter. Proverbs chapter six, beginning at verse seven. For at the window of my house, Proverbs chapter seven, verse six, for at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, willy of heart, and she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him with kisses. 
and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning at your pornographic screen. 21st century editions there. Let us delight ourselves with love for my husband is not at home. So I'm going to read the 50 shades of gray. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He will come home with much seductive speech. She persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. I haven't heard. I haven't had it described to me that pornographic sites are crude and in the sense of using bad language, they want to lure you in. They're going to be very nice to you. And my husband is not at home. He's going on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, oh sons, everyone stuck with that lure to pornography, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. And so we see here that this enticement that we find in scripture that James talks about, jumping back to James chapter one again, this enticement we see described for us in detail in the book of Proverbs, where God tells us how seductive pornography is. God tells us how uh, cunning pornography is and how it just leads and how it just, you know, kind of waves the hand in a soft gesture, pulling you in, thinking it'll be all right. After all, you're not gonna fall. If you look once or twice or three times, you'll be okay. It's not going to get you like it's gotten other men. It's not going to get you like it's gotten other women. You'll be okay. We'll just take this step. And then all of a sudden, like described in Proverbs, we're trapped. Like animals are trapped and captured and killed. When you look here back in James chapter 1, the scripture says we're not only lured away, but we're enticed. That word enticed means baited. The bait is out there to draw us in. Not only are we baited, but our desires produces a tunnel vision. Look with me again at verse 14. When we are lured away, when we are enticed by our own desire, then when it has conceived, we develop a tunnel vision. That's the word we use in counseling when we talk about somebody who is trapped in something and all they can see is what is in that tunnel. They can't hear wisdom. They can't hear truth. They don't hear loving family. They don't hear a way out. They want this. And they're in this tunnel. And unless they get out of the tunnel, they'll be destroyed. And so here I would say James is describing in psychological terms today, 
tunneling. You go down this road, you see the lust, you see the enticement, the lure is there. And then there is the clasping to sin. And that's what conception means. It says there in uh, verse uh, 15, and then desire when it has conceived. That word conceived is the idea of catching on to something. It's the idea of clasping the temptation. The temptation's before me. The temptation is there. And now I'm going to grab a hold of it and I'm going to make it mine. And when that happens, sin is born. Missing the mark happens. We move away from staying away from sin and we fall into sin. And that process can lead to death. And a downward spiral which culminates in final collapse takes place. What are the final collapses of death? I mentioned them earlier. Divorce, imprisonment, fines, probation, broken families, loss of job. You would be surprised how many people lose their jobs because of pornography. Lose their jobs, bank accounts are empty because they are supporting a habit. They are supporting sin. Uh, it is part of their life. There is so much death that comes with a bondage of pornography and its destruction. And so James takes us down that road and he shows us how it attacks the whole man. In Psalm 139, we won't turn there, but in Psalm 139, the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. When it describes there you and I in mom's womb, we are getting the picture of how God himself has woven a unique individual. You are a unique individual today. When you were woven in your mother's womb, God had a design and a plan for you. And Satan doesn't like you to have a relationship or me to have a relationship with God. And he'll do anything and everything to destroy that but we were fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a, a part of us as God created it. He wants us to be the very best. Jesus says in Luke's gospel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And as I work with people and meet with people, those are the four objectives that I have when people come for counseling at Grace Fellowship. We want to help you be physically whole, emotionally whole, mentally whole, and spiritually whole. Why? Because if you are not whole in those areas, you cannot adequately worship God who says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And so the goal is to realize that Satan wants to destroy what God created, you and me. He wants to take us physically down. STDs, all these diseases on the rise. He wants to take us down emotionally. I cannot survive. I cannot keep going. How many people are in trouble today because their addictive behavior like pornography is growing and growing and growing in their heart? And how about mentally thinking about it? That's all I think about. I got to get home or I got to get to the office or I got to go here. I got to do this. I got to get my fix today. I got to care for myself because nobody else will care about me. And that self-focus begins to attack the emotion, begins to attack a person's mental life, and then spiritually, spiritually driving them away from God, 
spiritually driving them to the place where they say, you know what? I am so ashamed of my life. I don't want to go to church. I'm so, so ashamed of my life. I don't want to read the Bible anymore. I'm so ashamed of my life. Why should I even bother trying to pray? Look what I'm living in. And pretty soon they're far and far away from God. Remember this, God loves you and he wants you to worship him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your spirit. Don't let Satan have those things. Give those things to God. So we see here this process. And as this process goes on, we also find that there is a popularity about pornography. We see the process as God describes it from a biblical perspective in the book of James. But what I call popularity in this sin is that we see it throughout the Bible. I'm just going to give you a few biblical characters but I'm going to let you find them in the Bible. I'm going to let you look at their life. I want you to see what they did. I want you to see the decisions they made. I don't want to just stand up here and tell you. I want you to get into the word of God and see what happens when we walk a destructive path as we look at these real people in the Bible. The first person I think about is Lot. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And when the angels of God came, to deliver Lot, the people of the town said, knocking and banging on Lot's door, let us in, Lot. We want to know these men. And by the way, it's not knowing them like sitting down to dinner. It's having sex with them. We want to know these men, Lot. You let us in. Do you know what Lot did? Well, first of all, the angels put blindness on all those people that they couldn't see and they just started roaming around all over the place. But you know what Lot did in that passage of scripture? Lot said, no, no, no. I cannot send these men of God out to you. Let me give you my daughters. Lot's pornographic mind in that pornographic city was willing to sacrifice his daughters to pornography instead of those two angels. Shame on him. But there are a lot of people today sacrificing. Talk about incest. Talk about child abuse. There are a lot of people today being sacrificed in families for pornography's sake. Another character that I think about is Eli. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And when you read their story in 1 Samuel, God says these two men, Hophni and Phinehas, were worthless fellows. King James language, like Pastor Mike says. They were worthless fellows. In other words, they were men who would have prostitutes at the temple. The pornography had entered the temple like it has entered the church in the 21st century. And God said, I am done with them. I am done with them. And if you read that story, Hophni and Phinehas were killed. Eli was so shocked that the ark of God was taken in battle that he fell over dead. All of the sin that was going on had its consequences in the religious realm of Israel's history. And then I think about Amnon. Amnon was David's son. Amnon had a half-sister, Tamar. 
And when Tamar came to Amnon's house, the Bible says Amnon was so insistent to have her, he forced her and she was screaming, let me go, don't do this to me. I do not want to be a shame among my people. And there was the pornography of incest. And we see that in the scripture, but we don't have to look far from the family line of Amnon because David, the Bible says that a time when kings go to war, where was David? On the housetop, looking at Bathsheba. At a time when kings go to war, David was not in the place where he needed to be. And when you and I are ever seduced by pornography, men or women, we are never in the place that God would want us to be. We're never in the place that God would want us to be. And from David's sin, there was the murder of Uriah, there was the adultery with Bathsheba, and there was the death of a baby. And we see the results of pornography in the scriptures. And then when we jump to the New Testament, Paul was very upset at the Christian church. And he said, why have you not disciplined this one who would have his father's wife? Incest in the church in the first century. Pornography. It's not a new game that Satan uses. You can search the scriptures. You can look at the life of preachers like Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. You can look at the lives of politicians like David and Amnon. You can look at the lives of church people and pornography is rampant. And today, the sad commentary it has infected the church. 50%, if I've not said it already, 50% of men in the evangelical church are addicted to pornography. That is a high number. I'm not going to do that, but just imagine if I had all the men in this congregation stand up and then I said, half of you sit down. That would give you a picture of a percentage. And so we find here that we see that there is popularity in pornography as we look at the scriptures. It is not a new epidemic. It's just how we view it as new. We don't need to sneak any longer to the bookstore, to the magazine section and look around to see if anybody's seeing us. Now, when the wife or the husband go out to run errands, we run to the computer. We don't have to find things anymore that's really hard to get. It has become so easy. But in that sense also of seeing this popularity, there's also power in this war zone that we battle. And the power is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the last part of that verse says that we are to take every thought captive. Now here's what happens with things like pornography and addiction. What we do is we think that we're solving the problem when we just sweep it under the rug. We think we're solving the problem when we don't talk about it, let alone talk about it in a church service. We don't even talk about it in our house. Let's not talk about it. Let's push it away. Let's get it out of the way because then it will be okay. And that's not true. If you're going to take something captive, what do you have to do? You have to pull it toward you. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor Bob. You're telling me to avoid pornography and the bondage of that, and you're telling the poet toward me? Yes, 
pulling it toward you. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the scripture. First of all, we have to own it. We have to own it. There are a lot of people who will never tell a single person that they are involved in pornography. I want to tell you why I'm proud of those 10 or 11 men that I've been meeting with over the last year. I am proud of them because when they sit in my office and they look up at me and they say, I have something I want to tell. Well, I don't know if I'm going to. No, I'm just going to tell you. When they confess, when you and I confess, there is relief in confession. That's part of the New Testament theology, confessing. Confessing before God, confessing among each other. We see confession all through the scripture. And I sometimes had guys say, you know what, Pastor Bob, last week you asked me a question and I didn't want to answer it, but I, I knew I walked out of here and I was lying to you. And I need to tell you, yeah, what you asked me if I was doing that, I am. I say I'm proud of those guys because they've been going, going through the ringer. They've been going through the ringer to really get to the place where they're set free. And so you got to own it. That's what James 5, 16 says. Confess your faults one to another. Confess your sin one to another that you may be healed. There is a healing power in confession. Not only that, you need to get to a safe place. I'm going to talk about some safe places at the end of the message. You need to renounce the addiction publicly. I had a man come to me who was so broken he said, Pastor Bob, I confess to my wife, I confess to my two sons, and I confess to my mother my sin. And God is really working in his life as he has confessed and has gone that extra step of letting people know the struggle he is in. People in pornography need to give up their girlfriends and their boyfriends. Women need to give up the romance novels. Men, we need to get rid of that pornography and develop healthy relationships. And I'll talk about healthy relationships again at the end of the message. Renew your mind. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 24 says that we are to put off that old nature, that old man. We are to renew our mind and put on the new man which is fashioned after Christ. A renewing of the mind. In other words, we need to create new brain patterns in our mind. You say, well, now you sound psychological. Well, you know what's true? You can create new brain patterns in your mind. Think of it as a field that's all green and you start walking across that field every day. What happens? You create a path. You create a path. Our minds do the same thing. So from a psychological standpoint and from a biblical standpoint, the Bible says the same thing and the science of psychology says the same thing. You can change your way of thinking. Ephesians 4.23 and what science tells us. We have the ability to renew our mind and we need to run. We need to run. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, that tells us that we need to flee youthful lust. We need to run to a safe place. We need to run to safe people. We need to run to safe relationships that are healthy. You know, when we try to do it ourselves, we fail. Here's what happens. And if you've ever been in AA, I'm not telling you anything new this morning. 
because the first principle of AA is I am powerless to do this on my own and I must seek a power greater than me. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. That is who we seek. That is the first principle. And so what usually happens in the lives of people is that they do not admit they have a problem or they think they can solve it. Let me give you an example. Regardless of what addiction you're talking about, somebody wakes up on Sunday morning and it's a nice day, sun shining, it's beautiful outside, and that person says, today, I'm done with my addiction. I'm done. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to church this morning. By the way, let me just throw this out to you to tell you about people in church. I was sitting in the atrium a couple years ago and this guy came in and he was talking to me and I looked at him and I said, you act like you're high. He said, yeah, I did a shot of heroin this morning to get to church. That's how powerful addiction is. But I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna start uh, turning over a new leaf. I'm gonna have a new resolution. And so they read their Bible. They go to church Sunday. They read their Bible Monday. They pray on Monday. They do that on Tuesday. They do that on Wednesday. And Thursday they fall. Why did they fall? They were going to church. Why did they fall? They were reading their Bible. Why did they fall? They were praying to God. Doesn't God care? Yes, but listen, here's the problem. The addict was trying to do it in his own strength. And I come back to that first principle that I mentioned in AA. It is also the principle in God's word. We cannot do it in ourselves. We need Jesus Christ to be the one who is gonna change us and make us to the person that God wants us to be. I cannot say, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to church. I'm gonna pray. I, because what am I doing right now? It's me, it's me. I'm gonna change. I'm gonna fight this. I'm gonna do this. No, it's what God, I can't and I am weak, and I need your power to deliver me. That's what we need to say. I'd like you to watch a video of someone I know named Kevin. For as long as I can remember, I always grew up in a religious household. My parents made it their mission for me and my younger two brothers to grow up having godly morals and values, which meant being dragged to church every Sunday. I felt like I was being forced to have a relationship with God. So I never truly knew how to accept Him into my heart. Don't get me wrong, I always believed in God and I always prayed to Him, but there was just something missing. I continued attending church throughout high school, but everything changed once I left for college. I wasn't prepared to handle the various tests and heartaches that I experienced throughout this period of my life. I was struggling emotionally and instead of leaning on God, I turned to drinking, partying, and women. I knew it was wrong, and that not only did my parents disapprove, but God was up in heaven shaking his head. It was my way of coping with the pain I had on the inside and um, the emptiness I felt at the time. I continued to avoid my problems, and it didn't take long for my actions to pretty much turn into an addiction. I had nothing to look forward to but to the weekend. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember many of my weekends in college. I felt so much guilt and shame, and the only way to feel better was to do these things. This behavior continued after college. Um, despite the many battles I was facing on the inside, I always knew that God was there for me. I would pray and occasionally go to church, but 
I continued to live life as I saw fit. And for 10 years, ever since college, God would patiently stand at my door and knock and would ask if he could come into my life. But I was afraid. I was afraid that submitting to God would mean that I would lose my sense of identity. And to tell you the truth, I didn't want to give up my destructive ways at the time. So I continued to live in sin, hoping that I could find the cure to this deep emotional pain. But not only did things get worse, I continued to mistreat the loved ones around me. It took a while for me to realize that I couldn't change on my own. And after many, many years of trying to find a cure to this very deep emotional pain, I just had enough. I knew that what I needed was God and in order to grow and, and be the person that I want to be, I needed to have God in my life. About three months ago, God knocked on my door again and gracefully asked if I would accept Him as my Lord and Savior. And after 10 years of saying no, I finally accepted Him into my heart. I finally gave up control. I've been given this sense of peace that I've never felt before. With all the pain, the emptiness, the anger, and the fear has slowly faded from being a part of my everyday life. It's like I know that believing in God and, and doing right by Him doesn't mean that my life will all of a sudden get easier. I still have my daily struggles and temptations. But what strengthens me is knowing that I don't have to do this walk all alone anymore and that God is paving a straight path ahead of me. When you listen to Kevin's testimony, he says in five minutes what we took 30 minutes to look at. But when we think about how do I get out of this, the first step is Jesus Christ. That can sound so tongue in cheek, but when you have been down a road of destruction and you've been down that road and been down that road, you get to the place where I'm gonna step out and trust him. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.